From Luminary Media, this is LGBTQ&A. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and today I'm talking to Issa Mazzi. She is the author of the new book called Cam Girl, and as you can guess, she is a former cam girl herself. She says that being a cam girl is the hardest job she's ever had. It was a ton of work, as you'll hear. And there are a lot of myths and assumptions about cam girls, about sex workers in general, and our conversation begins the work of dispelling those. So let's hear it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. You know, reading the book, I realized that I hadn't actually thought of cam girls as included in sex work. You know, I think that that word is kind of new in terms of like the modern usage, sex work. And it's really quite a bit broader than I used to think. Does totally. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think especially thinking about cam girls, there's so many different types of cam girls and different types of performance that it is a pretty broad term. Just so that the audience and us are all on the same page, can we define like what that word means just like in terms of your previous work, I guess? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a cam performer in general is anyone who performs erotic shows in a live streaming venue, you know? And I don't think that's necessarily only on cam sites. I think there's other ways to stream online erotically. There are also like sites that aren't strictly campsites where sex workers work. You know, there's like, there's phone sex websites and texting websites and uh, there's like OnlyFans. And so there's all these places that are um, not, you know, OnlyFans is not only for porn, um, but I think that's what a lot of people use it for. Yeah, just like really any of those venues, I think can be like a cam performer, like anyone performing for a webcam erotically, I would say. Um, could fall in that definition. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I like too that before you started, you actually like studied cam girls. You watched <laughs> and learned and took notes. Like, can you talk about what you learned that people want to see and also what it takes to succeed as a cam girl? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of what I learned is that, you know, the girls that I watched that were most successful had, you know, really specific brands, really specific personas. They kind of like honed in on what type of shows they wanted to do. You know, were they goofy? Did they joke a lot? Were they very casual? Were they more like orchestrated, curated performances? Did they have a big, you know, production budget in their shows? It was really kind of cool to see how specific every cam girl could get with her room and her audience because it really made me feel like I would be able to find the people that would speak to me and who I would relate to. And so like, was your bisexuality, was that part of your identity as a cam girl? Um, yeah, I was always really open about being queer um, and I performed a lot with other girls as well. So um, yeah, that was absolutely a part of it. A lot of a lot of the girls on the site uh, do shows with other girls. And so I think it's pretty common with on, at least on, with on the site I worked on to like to be queer or at least kind of like perform queer for camera. Is it okay to generalize that like the majority of your fans are most likely straight men? I think that's a fair statement, yeah. Or, and were they mostly men, I guess I should they were ask? Most, they were mostly men. I had some girls, but I think for the most part, my audience was mostly male and mostly straight. Yeah. Gotcha. Do you think you would ever watch a cam performer? N no, actually. Why not? I, I have no interest in that. And mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know the reason why. <laughs> I don't want to sound like, like a pompous asshole, but I really prioritize in-person contact. Yeah. And so I'd rather like go out and meet somebody like IRL. Totally. I feel that. You know, camming fills this really nice space for people who maybe don't want to go meet people IRL or maybe can't, 
you know, yeah. and this is like a space where they can go and have, you know, more of an intimate connection than just watching porn. You know, you're not just watching someone removed from you. You're actually interacting with them. You're getting to know them. You're, you can, you know, a lot of my regulars would watch me over, you know, several nights, over the weeks, over the months, over the year and, and really get to know me. And, and, you know, I really built a community and it became not only just about me as a performer, but also about everyone else in the room interacting with each other. And I was really struck by what you just said, reading the book. I did not expect there to be a community there or for like the camp performer, you in the book to have genuine feelings for people watching. I formed <laughs> genuine friendships with with a lot of my viewers. And I think, you know, every cam girl has like kind of different boundaries um, of how, you know, close she wants to get with with her viewers. But for a lot of mine, I felt, you know, genuine kind of caring for them. And, and, and that was reciprocal. Was that apparent right away? Yeah, I mean, I think on my first show in the book, it's kind of this, it was a super like awkward thing where I couldn't get my uh, software to work right. And I was like trying to stumble around and just almost instantly there was this collection of people trying to help me and troubleshooting with me. And I felt so taken care of and, and you know, helped. And so it was, it was almost off the bat, this really nice bond that we had created. I think if you went on a campsite and hung out for a little bit, you might be surprised. Like when I was doing my research, I would watch a lot of cam girls and I genuinely got hooked on some of them. Like I was like, this girl likes me. I like this girl. I can't stop watching her. She's so fucking hot. And like, just really, um, really feeling that connection there. So you might be surprised. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. What was it about these women that you were attracted to or that felt a connection to? I mean, the one I'm thinking of in particular is um, kind of one of the first girls that I saw and she was just so cool. Like she listened to jazz and drank scotch and wore fancy lingerie and had, you know, this long cascading hair. And she talked to me about literature and she had vinyl. And like, I just thought she was like, like a combination of someone I wanted to marry and also someone I wanted to be. And I, yeah, I just, I was obsessed. That's fascinating. So in the book, you wrote that this is the hardest job you've ever had, period. Yes. And that's because it took work. Can you talk about like what that work was and looked like? Totally. I mean, I think, you know, camming took so much labor and it really tested all of these different skills from like, first of all, you're building a brand, you're building a social media image, you're building a website, then you're creating content, you're lighting the content, you're shooting the content, or you're hiring people to light and shoot the content, you're doing your makeup, you're coming up with your costumes, and then you're coming up with your show ideas, which you know you can't, especially when you have a group of regulars that are watching you every night or a few nights a week, you can't do the same thing every single night, it's, it's boring. And more than that, you have to play with what's going on in the outside world. Like, is it the Super Bowl? Is it some giant holiday that you're gonna either need to be on theme for? Like, how are you gonna interact with the Super Bowl so you can get those viewers to watch you and the Super Bowl at the same time? Or are you just gonna be there in an empty room? You know, there's all of these, um, things that go into it. And then you were trying to remember regulars' birthdays and their days that are important to them and that they had a job interview next week and you want to, you know, send them a message and let them know, you know, how'd your job interview go? And then you're selling your Snapchat. So you've got to maintain your Snapchat and then you're getting emails coming in and private messages coming in. And then you're coordinating with other girls. Like I'm going to fly out and shoot with you next week. And it's just, it's so much stuff all at the same time. And often all of that stuff can be going on in the background while you're sitting in front of the computer, smiling, looking pretty and performing. So it's, um, it's just, it's a very hard job. And all that's happening when like to us, we hear cam girl and we just think she's turning on her camera on her computer and talking. Exactly, exactly. I think there's so much work that goes in for it to look so effortless. That makes total sense. 
And then also like another thing I was struck by was like the sense of control that you had. You know, you were able to kick anyone you wanted out of your room. You could set prices for what you did. You got to control if you took clothes off or not. And I just thought that it would be like a little more of the same, same, always. Yeah, I mean, I think that having that control was what really drew me to camming in the first place is that and why I found it so transformative ultimately is because it was this place where I set boundaries I decided prices and I was in full control over who saw me and what they saw that's really empowering too Totally, especially, you know, growing up as a woman and feeling constantly like my body was not allowed to belong to me in society, Um, you know, just being grabbed and catcalled and harassed and told, you know, you have to dance with this person or why don't you want to date me? Just like all these pressures coming from the outside and then being able to be in this space where it was like, all right, if you want to look at me, give me money. And growing up like like that in the world, and you wrote that you like felt like uncomfortable with sex. I think that's like a weird thing to talk about being uncomfortable with sex because like you said, sex is everywhere. Yeah. And I think I was just having this conversation with someone the other day where like, we're kind of told that if you don't like sex after a certain point, there's something wrong with you. You know, it's like, well, you should be having sex with, how often are you having sex with your husband or your partner? You know, it should be X amount of times. We have all these shoulds around sex. And what we really should be framing the conversation is how do you feel about sex? What do you actually desire? What brings you pleasure? What makes you feel safe and comfortable? And I think that's kind of how the conversation needs to shift because for so long, you know, I felt like there was something wrong with me because I didn't enjoy sex. I graduated high school a virgin and like, I thought that like I was just a failure. Totally, totally. And that's so much pressure. It's simultaneously, we say, oh, if you haven't had sex, you're a failure. But if you have too much sex, then you're a slut. And that's not acceptable either. And you feel these like kind of pressures in all directions that I think is really confusing and ultimately very damaging as well. And ultimately for you, sex work gave you the tools to embrace this sexual side of you. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, it was the first place where I could have these boundaries and where I really learned what consent meant. And I really learned that I could figure out what felt good to me. And that was really revolutionary to me. Um, I do have a history of sexual trauma that I really needed to confront. And I think that sex work was the place that made me feel safe enough that I could kind of look back and confront that. And so sex work was the place that worked for you. I'm wondering like people at home who are listening, who like are having these like issues, but don't want to, you know, become a cam girl. Totally. I mean, I think, you know, yes, sex work is what worked for me. Um, I think that, you know, if people are having these issues around not liking sex and not feeling safe, I think the first thing to do is to stop pressuring yourself, stop letting other people pressure you, stop feeling like you should be having sex or that you should be having so much sex. It, it doesn't, that that's the first place to, to just stop and, and sit with yourself and say, you know, what do I actually enjoy? When do I actually feel good? And learn how to feel when you feel like you're being pressured. Because often, for me at least, the pressure that I felt having sex wouldn't even come necessarily from my partner. It would come from myself. And that's something we don't talk about when we talk about consent. Totally. I mean, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves that, you know, I oftentimes would would have sex with a partner and be dissociating and feel really unsafe because I had kind of told myself this is what I needed to do, that I somehow owed this to my partner. I think that's such a good point because when we talk about consent, we talk about getting consent from the other person and like getting that yes or no, but we don't talk about the other person um, and how hard it can be to say no. 
mm-hmm. and how hard it can be to like, you can, you're also allowed to change your mind like in the middle of sex or like a hookup. And that's not something we like teach people to have a language for. Totally. And I think, you know, stopping someone in the middle of sex can be really scary, but I think it's also our jobs as wanting to be responsible partners to create a space for our partners where they feel safe enough to do that as well, where we're saying, you know, do I have consent? And also, you know, this is a space where like, I want you to be giving me consent the whole time. And if you feel unsafe, if you feel like you want to stop, that's okay. And if that does happen to, to, you know, react in ways that are loving and caring and to say, oh, great, we're stopping. What can I do for you right now? What do you need? Yeah, what wasn't working? Yeah. That's fascinating. When you were working as a cam girl, were you having a sexual relationship with somebody like at that time? Um, I did for a lot of it, yeah. Because I just wonder like camming is um, not always, but often solitary and alone, Mm -hmm. having Mm -hmm. this like sexual, um, often sexual experience. Like I just wondered how that translated to sex like in real life with a partner. I mean, I think it made my sex life a lot better just from the fact that like, I just felt sexier, like all like about myself. Like it was the first time again, you know, like I felt so much shame around my body. And I just thought that like my body was gross and my vagina was gross. And then here I was on this site where like hundreds of people every night were telling me that I was beautiful and that my vagina was beautiful. And I was feeling power over it and feeling the power over setting my own boundaries. And that made me feel so much sexier. And so I was able to take that feeling into my personal sex life and really start to explore the things, you know, that I enjoyed sexually with my partner in private that I had never really felt like I was able to do before. If I can be so blunt, what if you did not think that your vagina was beautiful, like you said, (laughs) what made you feel comfortable enough to then show it to like the internet? It was the desire to feel like it was beautiful. And I had looked, you know, I had watched sex workers, I had watched strippers, I had watched all these cam girls and they felt so embodied to me and they felt so confident to me. And they they were people that I watched who seemed to genuinely enjoy sex. And I looked at that and I said, I want that. I want to feel that way about myself. And so I kind of put myself in the situation where I said, okay, well, if I do the things they're doing, maybe one day I will also be that way. I think that that is actually incredibly smart and insightful because people are uncomfortable with sex. And yet the only way to get better at it or get more comfortable with it is to have it. And so you found a way to get comfortable without having to be around another person which is like really important, you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, in the end I got exactly what I wanted. I found a way to be comfortable in my body in a way that I never had before. Right. Because yeah. there's pressure getting, becoming comfortable with somebody else like in the room too. Mm-hmm. I think by the time you're like 16 in the U S literally <laughs> you think that everyone's having sex and everyone's really, really good at it. Yeah. And you just think there's something wrong with you. Cause you're like, why aren't I having sex? Why is my sex life weird and awkward and uncomfortable? Um, yeah. And I, I think that's more of these pressures of like how we don't talk enough about sex and we don't talk about it enough in a really open kind of honest way. Totally. And everyone has different desires. Like it's okay not to have sex. I don't want to make this like the, like the anti, anti-sex podcast, <laughs> but, um, I like to ask people who are in my life. Like when they say, I haven't had sex forever, like what is forever? And to some people it's three months and to some people it's three days. Totally, totally. It totally depends on the person and we're all different about sex. And I think, you know, that's why it's so important to be honest with ourselves about what is right for us and to not listen to anything in the media, our friends, 
whatever is telling us that, you know, we're not having enough sex or we're having too much sex or whatever. Yeah. It's really such an individual thing. So if this made you more comfortable with sex and it made you feel sexier, did it change what you found to be sexy? I mean, I think it totally reframed how I view consent and sexual relationships. You know, when I have sexual, you know, relationships with people now who are really comfortable with the way that I talk about my body and my boundaries, um, that's a huge turn on for me. I've encountered a lot this misconception that like, you know, explicit verbal consent will somehow not be sexy or will somehow like ruin the mood if it's like, oh, can I go down on you? But actually, you know, I find it really hot when someone asks me before they touch me. And I, I that's a turn on for me because I feel safe. I feel respected. And it's it kind of becomes a, a part of the foreplay, you know, like, oh, can I kiss you here? Oh, can I touch you here? Um, it, it becomes, becomes erotic. And I think that's something that I learned through camming as well. That's really interesting. I, I think because it makes sense, but that's like hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. Also, like as a gay man, like it's very trendy now to like talk about like choking, <laughs> you know, and like that is something that like requires consent. But I think there's like a semblance of like, oh God, now I need to be cool with choking. Totally. And I think, you know, that's something about camming. Like when you were, when I was camming with another girl, you kind of sit down and have a business chat. It's like, what are your boundaries? Can I do this to you? Can I do this to you? How much do you want to charge for this? And we had such frank matter of fact discussions about sexual acts that I kind of realized I could carry that into my personal life and how I'm kind of negotiating sex. And, and it works really well because I think, you know, as a queer woman too, a lot of growing up for me was like, feel not really sure if the girl I'm with is straight or if she's into me or if I can kiss her, if I am kissing her, if it's okay, if I touch her. And now it's so much easier to just be like, can I touch you? Like just ask, you know, and, and that can be a a part of it. I think I'm so fascinated by this too, because had you told me or were you to tell me right now, act sexy, I would have (laughs) no idea what to do. But in theory, that is what like the camera is telling you to do when you open it up. Yeah. I mean, I think being sexy is about what makes you feel sexy. And I think that's different for everyone. And I think um, that camming was the space where I felt really sexy a lot of the time. And because I was able to really embody that, I could then take that out into my external life and kind of say, okay, this is how I feel when I'm sexy. And this is the confidence that I want to embody. I mean, looking at this as a business, which it was, I think it's so interesting because traditional prostitution, there's only so much you can do within an hour, like when you're in person with somebody. However, like you, an hour online, like it could be an unlimited number of people watching like the growth potential there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I don't like using the word prostitute um, because it's the language of criminalization. Okay. Um, so, um, but yes. Oh, so no, I, I don't want a question about yes. that. I've heard prostitution and sex worth inter- used interchangeably. Mm-hmm. And I use prostitution there because I think it's more specific than like the broad term. Is there a better mm-hmm. u- um, word to use? Um, I think you could use um, like, a, like a full service sex worker, an in-person sex worker. Oh, okay. um, there's lots of different terms for it. Um, I personally tend to not, like the word prostitute because it does refer directly to the codes of criminalization that are used to jail and discriminate against sex workers. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so it's um, it's something I work on not using. I do actually use it in the book. Um, there are times in the book where I'm referring to the way that like John Steinbeck wrote about a character and he refers to her as a prostitute. And then there's also um, wanting to be honest to the language I used at the time in the book, 
which is how I spoke about it then. It's been kind of a new development for me, actually, to realize that the word prostitute is is a word of, of criminalization. I appreciate that. Thank you. I think that when I said earlier that sex work is such a new term for people, mm-hmm. I think that... Um, I did not actually know a better alternative for an in-person sex worker, as you said, but like that makes sense. In-person sex worker works great too. Totally. Yeah. And so like my point there is like in person, there's only so many guys like, or or people let's say uh, in an hour. But for you, um, like as a business, like it's just like limitless almost online. Yeah. I mean, there could be hundreds. There were thousands. Some nights I did shows where there were, you know, thousands of people watching and that was pretty insane. (laughs) While we're talking about the business, like, do you mind sharing like how much you could like make on average? Um, I mean, you know what? It's hard to answer that. It totally depends. I could make, you know, several hundred dollars an hour to $10 in an entire night. And again, it would really depend on the show I was doing, who was online, when payday is. That's another thing sex workers know a lot about. When are people getting paid? Because if it's closer to if or it's, far if away it's right, if it's payday, you're going to get more than like the Thursday before the second Friday of the month. You're not going to get as much money because everyone's waiting for their paychecks to hit their bank accounts. You're on that Saturday after payday. All of a sudden, people are flush with cash. They're feeling good. Um, you're gonna you're gonna do better. So you know things like that. Play, how close are we to Christmas? You know how many Christmas presents are these people buying? It, it it all factors into how much money you're making. I cannot believe that the difference is that substantial that you could pick up on it. Oh yeah, you totally can notice. And I mean that's like in um, you know so much of it was like tracking like what nights I did better, which nights were slower. And, you know, what's going on in the world that might influence how much money you're making. With you tracking that and like studying this before you got, became a can girl, it, like that's so intentional. Do you think that most people were doing that? Like, was that common? Yeah, I think a, like m- most sex workers do that, I would say. Like it's it's very common because again, it is a business. And I think that's like a, that's kind of this misconception about sex workers is that, you know, often people still tell me now when they hear about my past, they say, oh my God, I wish I could just take off my clothes and, um, and make millions of dollars. And I'm like, it's so much more than that. But I think that, you know, that's why it's so important for me with the book to talk about the labor that goes into it because I think it's so often easily overlooked. And with the book and the movie that's on Netflix called Cam, all these things, it's like changing the way Hollywood portrays sex workers and like the way we think about it. Because I think like the, um, like what's behind a lot of my questions is comes from not being exposed to like many sex, sex workers in my life. And so I get everything I learned from like movies and books. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is not great representations. Mm-hmm, totally. I mean, a lot of it is pretty bad representation, actually, I would say. Um, and that's why it's so important to like consume content, not not just porn content, but like mainstream content created by sex workers, which there is a lot out there. There's comic books, there's web comics, there's um, shows, there's web series, there's, there's all of this content that sex workers are making that kind of are moving towards better representation and more authentic representation. Because the majority of the representations that I see that involve sex workers, it's always women. Mm -hmm. And it also is women who are at their last resort who have absolutely nothing left, right? Mm -hmm. It's like their desire to do sex work comes from a place of desperation only when it's on camera. Yeah, it's like that stripper with a heart of gold trope. You know, it's like, oh, it's okay if you're a stripper, if you're like paying for your, you know, sick son or whatever. Um, and, and then it's also, it's either, you know, that victim narrative or it's super glamorized, like so easy, hot girl just walks in and money rains down from the sky type of situation. And you never see like the person that just is going to work every day, which is 
what a lot of sex work is. I think when like talking about sex workers, it's so important when we talk about these representations that are good and bad, because since in the majority of states in America, sex work is illegal, it perpetuates violence. And so, um, and like, like, I know you know this, but like when sex work is illegal and like something violent happens to them, it's harder for them to report it. Yeah, so actually um, in most states in the country, um, if you are engaged in sex work and you are the victim of a violent crime and you report that crime, you can and therefore will be arrested for the sex work that you were engaging in. California just voted to overturn that. And I think, I'm not exactly sure, you'll have to fact check me, but I think California is the only state that has done that. And so if you think about that, that is incredibly problematic and just puts sex worker lives at risk every single day because they literally can't report assaults. Right. I could literally beat up a sex worker and unless they want to report it and then be uh, penalized for being a sex worker, they can't. Exactly. It leaves absolutely no options. And that's incredibly, incredibly dangerous. And that's not something I've ever seen represented on screen. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, um, there's a lot of these laws that, for example, um, there was a law also in California that, um, if a woman was carrying condoms, if condoms were found on her person in a scene of a crime, they could be used as evidence that she was engaged in sex work. Which is, when I say that to everyone, like it's the most crazy, you're like, what, how is that possible? But that's how the laws are in a lot of states. That's how archaic they are. And I think if we talked more openly about all of this legislation that's out there, it would seem pretty common sense that a lot of these things should be overturned because it just doesn't, it's it's just dangerous. Yeah. And discriminatory. And it's an unpopular um, group of people to advocate for if you're a politician. Yes, because we live in a very puritanical society still that, you know, um, shames women for sexuality, shames all people for their sexuality, um, but especially women and queer expressions of sexuality are labeled not okay. I think that it's incredibly important that politicians and legislators start speaking up for for this issue because just to talk about Sesta and FOSTA for a moment, um, you know, it was legislation that was passed under this like guise of being there to protect uh, sex workers. But every single sex worker organization, every, every single anti-sex trafficking organization spoke out against it. And it's actually made things a lot less safe and a lot more dangerous for, um, for for the very communities that, you know, it was supposedly designed to protect. And when you look at laws like that, it's hard not to say like, oh, they're just discriminating. They're just trying to keep, you know, keep these voices silent. Absolutely. Is it weird that being a cam girl is like now part of your like identity, like in Hollywood? I mean, yes and no. Like I'm super proud of the work I did as a cam girl and I think you know, I felt so much of my life just this shame over who I was. I felt a shame over my sexuality. I felt shame over my body. And then, you know, when I was hiding the part of me that was a cam girl, I, I did feel like my identity was kind of fractured. I was like, there's all of this incredible work that I'm doing online that I'm really proud of, this community that I've built. And I can't even share it with everyone. You know, it's it's my art, but it's over here. It's your art that you're succeeding at. Exactly. And I can't even like stand in front of it and be proud because I'm told that, you know, if I do that, you know, 
you know, bad things will happen. You know, there's a there, and it is true. Sex workers are discriminated against. It's hard to find jobs in the mainstream if you've been a sex worker for a long time. You know, um, it's hard to. Sex workers are discriminated against constantly for things like that. And so, for me, I am so privileged and lucky to be in a place where I can be the cam girl that's also working in Hollywood. Like that is an incredible blessing, and. I am very grateful for that, if anything. And maybe with the work you're making about sex work too, it makes it a little bit easier for like the next girl. I mean, I hope so. That would be absolutely incredible. You know, I think that it was definitely a fight to be taken seriously with Cam. And it was definitely a fight to prove that I even, you know, had a space to make the movie. And again, Blumhouse was great about, you know, I produced the movie. I was on set for the movie. I was in casting for the movie. I co-authored that movie with with the director and 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 I proved that I could do it and so I hope that that helps you know other people who might doubt the abilities of sex workers they can look back and say okay you know there's this there's this mis- it's a misconception that sex workers are first of all only talented at sex work or second of all that sex work takes no talent you know sex work takes an incredible amount of talent and all of those talents are extremely transferable to a huge variety of other industries And too, like when we're saying sex work, like we're talking about like all types, be it in person, as we said, but also like strippers and um, porn stars too. Yeah, there's so many different types of sex work, so many ways to be a sex work. Um, You know, sugar babies, another form of sex work. There's, There's so many different ways. So to just like write off all sex workers is such a mistake. This has been really great. So like, thank you for talking to us. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. I mean, I think we're all we're all just learning and trying to do our best. And that's, that's kind of great about this time. All right, big thank you to Issa Mazzi for that. Her new book that we've been talking about is called Cam Girl. And we will be back next week. But until then, come find me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at JeffMasters1. Those are great ways to stay connected and recommend guests. We're brought to you by Luminary Media, Neon Hum Media, and The Advocate. The Advocate Magazine is the world's leading LGBTQ news source. Come check out our website at advocate.com. LGBT Q&A is produced by Jonathan Hirsch, Zach Stafford, John Asante, Jordan Gosfrey, and myself with sound engineering by Mark Bush. We'll see you next week.